Good morning, Sunrise. I'm surprised there's this many that brave the cold to be here this morning, so it's good to see if you guys like to stand and join worship with us. Greater than 
Good morning, Sunrise. I told the people that stood up for the weather and came out last night that I haven't actually located the verse yet, but I'm pretty sure there should be a verse in the Bible that talks about an extra blessing in heaven when you come out on a cold morning to come to church. So, and if you run across that verse, let me know, and we'll make it part of our our theology. So, we want to welcome you this morning. We're glad that you're here. few announcements. Uh, first of all, the building is coming along. They have all the tile off the floor. They have a couple days of buffing the rest of the glue off, and then they will be done. And so a week from Monday, we'll have um, the contractors will be able to come in and do their inspections so we can start to get take bids in. And starting a week from tomorrow, we'll be able to get in and start doing the things that we can do. And so in that regard, on the welcome table there in the back, there is a sign-up sheet for any of you that want to help on the building, and it just asks your name, contact number, um, when you would be available, daytimes, evenings, or Saturdays, and then any special skills that you have. And if you're like me, you want to put laborer, that's perfectly fine. That's, uh, we'll, need, we'll need all those different things. And that'll just kind of give us a pool of people that we can call and draw, to, draw from when we uh, start scheduling our, our work days. Men's breakfast this coming Saturday, or this coming Saturday at 8 o'clock at the Main Street building. Those are always a, a highlight for the men to get together and have breakfast and spend some time together. And then in your bulletin, you'll notice there is a little flyer that says CORE on it. And these are the men's groups that are going to be starting on the week of the 15th of February. And so if any of those times or the leaders, um, just get a hold of them if you want to be part of the group so that we can get materials ordered and there's going to be a couple in the mornings, Monday, let's see, Tuesday and Friday morning, and then a Monday evening and a Wednesday evening. And then Dewey's going to lead a group that if none of those times fit you, um, he's just going to find a time that fits the guys that want to be in his group. So we would love to have you be involved in those 10 weeks long. We want to make them a, a given dur- duration of time so that you know that we'll be done by the time spring gets here and potentially we'll be able to come and go Um, with a little bit more freedom. New to Sunrise, 21st, um, after the morning service. If you're new with us, we'd love to have you join us. We'll just have a light lunch and and just spend a little bit of time getting to know you. About this time of year, we always have our annual financial report. And we're going to actually do that next Sunday. But as part of that process, we we always look at the finances. But in in reality... Within Sunrise Church, there is this huge pool of people that volunteer their time. Uh, there are different ministries. The chairs are set up when you come in. The coffee is made. Uh, we have people that are running the sound and the tech and the worship team. And so this year, instead of just looking at the finances, I, I wanted us to be able to see the faces of some of the people that volunteer their time here. 
because in, in God's eyes, those gifts are just as significant. The gifts of time and talent are just as significant as when we, when we put a check in the offering plate. And so because we have so many of them, we're going to divide them up. We're going to do four of them this week, and uh, the rest of them will be next week along with the financial report. But we just, I just want you to see um, a few of the many people that, that volunteer on a weekly basis uh, so that God is honored and our community is ministered to and, and, uh, and the church functions as, it, as the body should. So I want to start this morning with uh, Daryl and Anita Taylor, and Daryl leads our coffee ministry as well as works with... Um, Daryl and Anita lead the coffee ministry, and Daryl leads the men's breakfast with Dewey Clap. Daryl? First thing we started doing at sunrise we joined the ministry to serve when we moved here from florida and being new to torrington it turned out to be a good way to help us get in touch and to know people each team serves one weekend a month on our weekend we come early to set up the coffee station then you help others making hot chocolate and pouring coffee right now we make coffee hand out creamers and sugar to everyone as we help keep our church family safe. Recently, we were asked to take over the team leader's position as they decided to step away. As team leaders, we are here just to make sure that we have everything we need for the team to do their task. We serve alongside a group of awesome people, who, which makes our job very easy. And some of the teams even serve with their whole families when they come. So it doesn't just have to be a husband and wife team. You can make your team whatever you want it to be on your Sunday. The need we have at this time is to do coffee on the third Sunday of each month. If this is something you would like to try, please get in contact with me or my wife, Anita, or even one of the coffee teams could get you in contact with us. And the second ministry I do is Men's Breakfast, which is next Saturday. Men's Breakfast takes place on the second Saturday of each month at 8 a.m. in the Main Street building. Dewey Clapp and I, with the help of Sunrise Church, are in charge of this mission. We have men of all ages who come to be fed and to feed others. It will start off with prayer, and then we eat and fellowship together. Usually someone will share a testimony or a lesson they have learned in their walk with Christ. Some of the men bring their sons with them. As one of the group leaders, it does my heart good to see young men coming and seeing it's okay to be open and honest about your walk with Christ. These are the future leaders, husbands, and fathers of our community. We could use people who are willing to share their God story with us. If you are willing, contact Dewey or I, or any church staff member, and they will put you in contact with us. We would also welcome those who will want to provide a meal on any one of the Saturdays where we volunteer. Anita? And uh, next, we'll ask Courtney Berkeley to come up. She's going to talk briefly about the women's ministries. Yep, you can get <laughs> Keyword briefly. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Courtney Berkeley. Um, we 
have a women's ministry. It's called To Gather. Women's ministry, like the number two. Um, we feel like women's ministry isn't about like 40 women in a room. It's about two women getting together, spending time together, being in the word, and just mentoring to one another. Um, right now, um, we are working on some plans for the spring as far as um, some get-togethers for the women, just have some fun, get together, and do something different. With the holiday season and COVID, it was kind of hard to find a time for us all to gather. But um, we have multiple um, studies that meet throughout the week. We have um, evening studies on Monday, and then every other Tuesday, there's a couple groups that meet midweek, um, like during the day. Um, so if you're interested in getting together with a Bible study, we can give you some ideas and avenues to get involved. Um, if women's ministry is something that's passionate to your heart, I would love to chat with you. Um, we're, we have a team, but we always love having more people join and more ideas come um, um, to kind of grow the ministry. So that's my bit. All right, and then we'll ask Anthony and Lacey Valentine to come up. Anthony heads up our setup team, and Lacey's the one that sets up communion for us faithfully each month. Uh, good morning. Like Brent said, my name's Anthony Valentine. This is my wife, Lacey. And uh, we run the setup teams here. Uh, we have a setup team for each Sunday. Um, each team has a set of uh, team leaders and then people to help volunteer to set up the church. I uh, really wish that uh, God would just speak church into existence every Sunday and, and this would all be set up, but it uh, it takes people um, and it's it's a good ministry to kind of be behind the scenes, uh, someone that uh, maybe just wants to serve in kind of their own way. Um, and it's also, you know, just as important as everything else, you know, we don't know um, exactly where in anybody's at truly and Maybe one Sunday a chair that you set up just might be a chair that brings somebody to Christ. So it's um, uh, something that is actually very re rewarding at the end of the day. And throughout COVID, it's been pretty easy. Uh, we've had a lot of events canceled here, and so the church has been able to kind of be uh, stayed set up, which has been nice. But if it's something you're interested in, uh, feel free to contact or talk to either one of us about it. Uh, we could use uh, some team leads for second Sunday and actually a few more volunteers uh, for that team and just... It's always good to have alternates, and we're, we're pretty flexible on schedule. You don't have to be assigned to one certain Sunday. If you can just make it when you can, we, we just appreciate the help. Yep, and it's, it's good for kids as well. Our boys uh, enjoy throwing some chairs around and playing with the toys as they set them up. Sometimes they're helpful, sometimes not. But, um, and then Lacey also does the uh, communion uh, once a month, generally, and... Um, we were kind of thinking this morning that it would be good if somebody maybe was interested in, in that, that uh, you could definitely get a hold of her and maybe train uh, to be an alternate uh, if she wasn't here or just something that maybe uh, you feel like it'd be fun to do or set up and just just get a hold of her. And then one more thing is I also usually am here to do the counts on Sunday. Um, and I don't know why they asked me to do it. It's hard for me to count past 10 as it is. But if you can count past 10, please get a hold of me. And uh, if you want to do a, another little behind-the-scene ministry to be able to count, um, we'd be uh, grateful to have somebody else uh, step into that. Thank you. Thank you, guys. 
All right, and then finally, we're going to have ask Pastor Paul to come up, and he's going to talk a little bit about worship team and youth and tech and all of the multiple hats that he wears. I'll keep it short. Good morning, everybody. My name is Paul. My wife, uh, Christine, we have five kids, um, so there's a lot going on at our house. Um, but I wanted to just share a little bit about youth and worship. As the, as the pastor of youth and worship, I consider it my task not to always be up here doing things, but to be equipping the body of Christ to serve um, in, this, in this body. And I get to work with some very passionate and talented people in youth and worship. And a lot of times we value certain gifts over, over other gifts in the body. But 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. But if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? We need all the parts of the body working together, doing their part. And <clears throat> I, get, I get to work with some very talented people, um, but our hearts have to be in the right place, and we have to be walking with with God and, and be relying on Him. So we've had some incredible things happen. Um, we, we, we have a couple in our, in our worship ministry who, um, their name's Jim and Carrie Ellison. I don't know if you know them. He's Jim standing back there. And, um, and I did a, a little jam session one night, and they, they decided to come out and play and never played bass and drums before in their life. And, and they just picked it up from scratch. And they are the hardest working uh, worship team members I have. They're always practicing. But you can pick something up later in your life and, and do it if that's, it's, if that's what you decide to do. And they're, they're just awesome. Uh, we have a choir opportunity coming up. And so if you want to sing, um, you want to be a part of that, we would love to have you. We start practice February 18th. And then um, we are just blessed to have a ton of college students um, helping with our Saturday night service because that would not happen without a, a bunch more folks that serve and run tech and run and uh, run sound and and play instruments and and all that good stuff. So, um, as I in transitioning to the to the youth area, as a church, we have a unique opportunity in this community to minister to kids that don't just come to sunrise. Probably half of our group over the years has been kids from this community that don't have a place uh, to go. And I hear kids every week just say, this is the best part of my week because I can see my friends. I can um, go play pool and, and interact with, with other adults and learn about God. And so we have about 50 students right now, middle school and high school, that come on Wednesday night downtown to our Main Street building. And that's actually a little bit smaller than what we've run in the past. But we have, we've decided this year to divide those kids up into small groups where they open the Bible with another leader and we're going through the book of Mark. And it is awesome. And if you've ever had a desire to be an adult mentor to youth, man, you will grow leaps and bounds in your relationship with God when you are teaching God's word and not just, you know, you don't have a, a real place to apply that. 
So the other thing we do is like three or four uh, big events throughout the year where we um, take kids skiing, we do a winter retreat, and then our big kind of busy event is summer camp, Maranatha. And that's, a, that's an awesome time to just get away for a week and, and just immerse yourself in God and his word. So um, I'm just so thankful to, to watch God work in the youth and, and worship areas and uh, just privileged to be a part of it. That's been one of the most encouraging things for me as I have assumed this role of, of pastor back in June is that we, we have this incredible group of, of volunteers and ministry leaders that they, they have a passion and, a, and they sense a calling for the things that they do. And, and I spend and Paul spends not very much time checking up, is this going to get done? Is that going to get done? People just before God do it and they serve faithfully. And, and that's just an incredible blessing. So next week we'll, we'll have uh, Sun Kids Ministry and life groups. And, and when you start just lining up the people that are involved in ministry here, it's really, it's really, really cool that God is, is drawing people into being a part of the body of Christ here. Every word of prayer, and then we'll get back to worship. Father, we're thankful that you have enabled each of us to serve in some way. Uh, within the body, you give various gifts and talents and abilities, and, and Father, you honor those who give those to you in, in terms of service. Father, it would be my prayer that you would bless and honor these that have taken time and do take time each week to serve you. Um, Father, you have the ability in the same manner that, that you multiply the 90% of our money that were, is left after we give so that it covers our needs. And Father, you do the same thing in terms of our time and talent when we, when we give of, of those to you. So I just pray that you would honor these, pray that you would bless their ministry, pray, pray that, that over these weeks ahead, if there are those that, that you want to be involved, that you would just speak to their heart. Uh, we want you to be the one that, that leads people into ministry here at Sunrise, and so we ask you to do that. Pray that you would empower our worship as we lift our voices to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down, and every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. But who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is a lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is a Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. 
Dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Rising he justified, freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my Redeemer is he. And the healed nation stretched out on a tree. And took the nails for me, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended our Lord evermore. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep Freely forever One day he's coming Oh glorious day Oh glorious day One day the trumpets will sound For his coming One day the skies with his glories will shine Wonderful day, my beloved one, bringing my Savior Jesus is mine. Living, he loved me, dying, he saved me, married, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day. Oh, glorious day.
Let us be intentional in our lives as we live for you and ultimately bring you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm excited this morning as we begin. We're on the starting edge of a new series. We're going to be studying passages in the Gospel of Luke over the next nine weeks, uh, culminating with Luke's account of Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And so it's always, I, I had an interesting conversation, this had been a couple of years ago now, but was talking to somebody else similar to me that had been um, in the church and involved in ministry for a, a lot of years. And he made a comment to me that in all the years that he had been in church, he could never remember a, a series from a gospel in the New Testament. You know, there's so many of the, the Pauline letters that we spend a lot of time in. And, and that, that comment kind of struck me because as I thought back in, in my history in the church, I couldn't remember a series in a gospel either. And I, and I found that interesting, and it kind of, it just kind of struck something in my heart that, you know, the whole essence of who we are as far as Christ followers is to, is we're to follow Jesus' example. I mean, that's the, the bottom line of, of how we ought to live. And so, how do we know Jesus' example unless we look at the way he ministered to people and the way he went about ministry and the way he presented himself? And... And so that's, that's really my desire over these next weeks, is that we see how Jesus did things, because we know in that same manner, um, that's an example for us to follow. So the theme of this series is going to be called Deliver Me, and we're going to look over these weeks at different areas of need in our own lives, areas of need in the lives of the people that Jesus interacted with, in which they, need, they needed deliverance. This morning we're going to talk about temptation, and then we're going to talk about physical maladies or sickness. Uh, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the clutches of religion. Uh, deliver us from the authorities. Deliver us from ourselves, from materialism. And then Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter. Luke's gospel is unique, as are each of the other gospels, in that it comes from a different perspective. When you look at the Gospel of Matthew, a Jew, he portrays Christ as the King of Kings and acknowledges the fact that he is a king. The Gospel of Mark looks at Jesus as the suffering servant, the one that came to serve and yet to suffer and die. The Gospel of John views God, views Jesus Christ as the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Luke as well has a theme that is unique to his Gospel. And as he focuses on Jesus as being the Son of Man, he looks at Jesus' humanity in a lot of detail. We know from Colossians 4, verse 14, that Luke was a doctor. He was a physician by trade. Another thing that, that's unique about Luke is that he was a Gentile. He is the only Gentile author of any of the New Testament books. And so if you read through his gospel, you'll notice that there's a lot of details that he brings out about Jewish culture and history that, that Gentiles might not know, but Jews would know because it was part of their culture and heritage. 
So he's the only Gentile author. He was a companion of Paul, spent a lot of time with Paul on his missionary journeys. Uh, Luke was the author of the book of Acts. We know that from, from that, that book. Another thing that, that you'll find as, as we read through and work through the book of Luke is that he brings to light and puts a special emphasis on the downcast and outcast of society. As you look at the stories that he tells and the things about Jesus' ministry that, that he deemed to be important as he wrote this, this historical account, he talks about Gentiles, and he talks a lot about Samaritans. He talks about those that were sick. He talks about the sinners and, of society. He, just, he, he, he brings in a lot of what we would call fringe people or needy people, and, and he makes that a real emphasis of the part of, of Jesus' ministry that he wants to focus on. I would encourage you over these next weeks as we're going to be, for nine weeks we'll be studying, uh, there's 24 chapters in Luke. If you take two to three chapters a week and just read through the book of Luke as we are, as we're studying through that. One other thing that's interesting about the, the, the gospel of Luke too is that he makes more mentions and brings to light more about women's role in Jesus' ministry than, than any of the other gospel writers. In the opening chapters, we see a lot about Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we see uh, uh, an account of Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, that was the, the mother of John the Baptist. We're told and introduced to a lady named Anna that was a, a godly woman that spent her days praying in the temple, looking forward to the Messiah, and was able to, to interact with when Jesus was, was, was to be born. On Resurrection Morn, Luke's account talks a lot about the women that went to the tomb and, and their interaction with the apostles. And so that's another, just a unique thing that, that Luke deems is important as he writes his account. We're told in the opening, opening verses of Luke that, that he was lived in the times of Jesus, but his account he received and learned and wrote down from those that were actually in Jesus' presence, the eyewitnesses of all these events. And so as he interacted with the apostles and he interacted with those that, that spent considerable amount of time with Jesus, that was the source of his, of his contact and the way he was able to put this gospel together. This morning we want to start by looking at the temptation of Jesus, the fact that we need Jesus to deliver us from the temptations that are in our lives. Let me read for you these 13 verses at the beginning of chapter 4 of Luke, and then we'll go back and, and, and make some comments. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this, this tempting, he left him 
until an opportune time. Let me pray. Father, in these moments ahead, we ask that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would open our hearts and our minds to your word. Would you take these words from your word and just apply them to the individual needs that we each have? Father, some need direction, some need encouragement, some need chastening. Father, we all are a different place this morning. And so we pray that as your spirit knows our innermost thoughts, that you would speak to the needs of our heart from your word this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So two things that I want us to see out of this account of Jesus' temptation. First of all is what can it tell us about the tempter? What can it tell us about Satan, the evil one, as he came to Jesus and he tempted him? The opening verse of that passage mentions that this account or this, this uh, event in Jesus' life, that it was orchestrated and allowed by God. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It was necessary for Jesus to be tempted. We're told in, in Hebrews that, that he was tempted and he understood those things that, that we're tempted with. And because of that, we can go to him and he understands. And so this event was orchestrated by the Sovereign Father as, as, nece as a necessary part of Jesus' life and ministry. The next thing we see is, is the fact that the, the manner in which the tempter comes to us. Notice that, that Jesus was led into the wilderness, and for these 40 days as he fasted, there was this hunger and a weakness upon his physical body, and that made him vulnerable to temptation and vulnerable to the, to the wiles and the, and the temptations of the evil one. In Mark's account of Jesus' temptation, chapter 1, verse 12 of Mark, we're told that uh, that Jesus' baptism, all of the events of his baptism are, are written in the narrative. And then immediately after the baptism, Mark says, at once he went out into the, he was led out into the desert to be tempted. And so there's a significant part of that as well. You think about what a, what a high point in Jesus' life and ministry that baptism was. The Father, as Jesus came up out of the water, the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove. And it just was a, a pinnacle event in Jesus' life at the beginning of his ministry. And at once, he was led out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And we're going to talk about that, the timing of those temptations, a little bit later. And then the last thing we noticed about, about the tempter is that this wasn't the last of the temptations. This was the temptation that's in the Gospels, but we know that throughout Jesus' life and ministry that, that Satan continued to tempt him and torment him and try to pull him aside from the ministry that, and, and ministry that, that God had put him there for, culminating in the cross. I believe that in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus prayed just prior to the time that he went to the cross, that, that, that there was just the agony that he, that he felt and, and that there was a, the temptation from the evil one to, you know, if you don't do this, it will save you a lot of suffering and a lot of pain. And so I'm sure that that was an opportune time and for Satan to once again to tempt him. The other thing that's significant about what we learn about the tempter in this passage is that he comes to Jesus in three different ways, in three different manners. The first, the first thing he does is he tempts him about a physical need. He was hungry. He had fasted for 40 days. And so Satan comes to him and said, you're the son of God. You can make these stones become bread. And so the, the pain in Jesus' belly from the physical hunger and then this, 
this presentation from the evil one about you can, you can meet that need. So he comes to us, he comes to, came to Jesus appealing to his physical senses. The second way that we see that he came to Jesus was he appealed through his eyes. The things that we see, the things that we desire, the, the sights that we see that, that fuels that desire in our heart that we want something. He appealed to that by offering him the splendor of the kingdoms of the world, those things that would be desirable. And then finally, Satan appealed to him in the sense of pride, which we know Jesus did not have since he was perfect. But he appealed to a sense of pride. If you cast yourself from the top of the temple, you know, your father will have an angel come and rescue you. That way you'll know that you're special and that, and that can feed into your self-esteem. So those were the three methods that Satan used as he came to him. What do we learn from Jesus' response? Jesus' response was very simple. In each, in each temptation, he recited from the word of God, from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And I find it interesting that even though Jesus was God himself in human form, he didn't appeal to his own authority, he didn't appeal to his own strength and power, but rather he allowed his Father's words to do the speaking. He did not confront Satan himself, but he said, this is what God said. These are the words of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. Thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. He trusted his father's words to resist the temptation. And so why is it so important that we understand the temptation of Jesus? You know, this account is in all four of the Gospels in varying details. And so I think that's significant. So what can we learn from Jesus' temptation? I think the first thing that we can learn are things about our adversary. There are two manners in which we are tempted, two powers or things that, that feed into the temptations that we face on a, on a daily basis in our lives as we walk before God. The first, the first power that has influence in our temptations is our adversary, the devil. We're told in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The three things listed in 1 John are exactly the same three things that Satan tempted Jesus with. The lust of the flesh, the physical desire, the hunger, those things that, that, that we need as part of our daily lives, and it drives us to see that those needs are met. The lust of the eyes, the things that we see, the, the eyes are our window to our soul, and, and we take things in and we see things, and, the, and those things that we see fuels a desire in us, either of covetousness or thankfulness, whatever the case may be. Lust of the eyes. And finally, the pride of life. That thing that is within each of us because of our fallen nature, that, that, that we want to be recognized and we want to be seen as important and we want to be significant, the pride of life. Same three areas in which Satan tempted Jesus, we're told, are the source of our temptation. If you look back in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, when man and woman fell after being tempted by Satan in the Garden of Eden, listen to Genesis 3, 6, the things that, that, that played in to Eve's taking of the fruit and giving Adam some. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye 
and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate also. Notice the same three things. It was good for food, the physical senses. It was pleasing to the eye, lust of the eyes, something that, that feeds in, and then was desirable for gaining wisdom. Why would that be desirable? Because it feeds our pride. We, we like to be seen as wise. We like to be seen as smart. We like to be seen as above the others around us. And so that played in to that very thing. And so that's the first thing we see in this account is that the same ways in which Satan came and tempted Jesus is the same methods and the same ways that he comes and tries to tempt us. The second thing we notice in this passage is that when Satan came to Jesus, he didn't come just to cause inconvenience or annoying, bring annoying details into his life. His goal was to destroy him. If he could cause Jesus to sin, then all of a sudden the perfect sacrifice that God had planned for the salvation of those that put their faith and trust in him, that would be gone. God's provision would be gone. And so Satan's goal was not just to to cause inconvenience in Jesus' life and catch him at a weak time, but rather it was to destroy his life and his ministry and the purpose he, that God had for him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, remind us, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. When Satan comes to us and presents things to us, temptations for us to fall into, he's not there just to make us have a bad day. He wants to destroy us. And, and we need to understand that. So, so often we just, we, we don't think of the significance of what Satan really wants to work in our lives and cause the destruction of families and reputations and, and spiritual life. He wants to destroy us. The second thing that plays into our being tempted is something that, that Jesus himself did not have a problem with, and that is our fallen nature. Sometimes Satan puts things in our path to tempt us, but most often our fallen nature is the source of that temptation. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, tells us this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full born, gives birth to death. Because we are fallen, because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we have within each of us the sinful nature. And the same things that Satan uses to appeal to us, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, our fallen nature feeds into those same things if we allow it to be true. James 4, 1 through 3, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire what you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. The second source of our temptation is our fallen nature and it wrecks havoc with us. 
Many times we like to contribute the fact that we fall and we fail on Satan's temptation and influence. But if you look back in the book of Revelation, at the end of the tribulation, at the end of the battle of Armageddon, as Jesus sets up his millennial kingdom and his thousand-year reign, Satan is bound and put away. His influence is taken out of society and out of this world that Jesus is ruler over. And so that influence is gone. That power is gone. And yet if you look at the end of that millennial period, sinful man assembles themselves in the armies of the world to come and do battle with Jesus Christ, the reigning king. There was no influence of Satan. He wasn't drawing them together. They came together because of the fallenness of their nature. We're told that Satan is loosed and he helps bring that all to, 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 to fruition. But the sinfulness within man's heart remains. So what's our response? What's God's provision for us to be free from temptation? If you don't remember any other verse this morning, <clears throat> I would re- ask you to remember this verse in this 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Probably the most familiar verse in Scripture as far as how we deal with temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Four things that I want us to notice in that verse. First of all, no temptation has overtaken you what is common to mankind. One of the biggest tools that Satan likes to use when we are tempted or when we fall is that you are the only one that struggles with that. You're the only one that that's a battle. You're, you're unholy, you're ungodly, you're unworthy because that's in your life. And the reality is, Scripture said, no, we all have a fallen nature. We all struggle with those same things. And, and in a way, that gives us a level of comfort because the battle's the same for all of us. The second thing we see in that verse is that God is faithful. He's faithful. He's always going to be there. He's always going to be in control of the temptation. That next phrase, he will not give us beyond what we can bear. Do you realize that God knows exactly what each one of our limits is? And, and in reality, if you take the context of that verse, if a temptation comes to me, then that means it's not a temptation. It's more than I can bear. Because if it was more than I can bear, God would not have allowed it to be presented to me. We don't often think about that. Whenever a temptation comes into our lives for us to do something or not to do something, if it's there, that means it's not more than we can bear in the power and strength of Christ's blood and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing, it says that He will provide a way out so that we can endure it. As I think back through the the times in my life in which I have failed miserably and failed in less than miserably, and I look back on those choices that I made, always, there was always a way out. There was always a plan in which I could have removed myself from being fall, fallen into or drugged into that temptation in which I fell. And so we need to be aware that when something comes before us, that number one, it's not more than we can bear. And, and the second thing is that God will provide a way out. He's not going to put us 
in a dead-end canyon in terms of temptation. There is always, always a way out. Another one of our provisions is prayer. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, a part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave to His disciples was, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have the power of prayer that we can present. We can come to God in that time of need. I love the, the passage later on in Luke's gospel in which Jesus, and, and as he prepares to go to the cross, and, and he knows the temptation that Peter is going to face, he prays for Simon Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. There's great encouragement in that verse. To know that Jesus understands, and, and he prays for our strength and the ability to stand in the face of temptation. And then we know the account of Simon, the account of Peter, and that he fell. He denied Jesus three times. But what was the provision on the other side of that failure? Jesus restored him, and Jesus forgave him. And look at the significant role that Peter had in the life of the early church. And so even when we do not take God's provision to resist temptation, there is hope and forgiveness on the other side of that. God's Word is part of our provision for temptation. Each time that Satan came to, to Jesus, each and every time Jesus recited the Word of God back to him. And notice that there was, in that third temptation, Satan himself recited words of God to him, and yet it was out of context. And so Jesus responded by the words of God that were appropriate for the circumstance. One other thing, or two other things that are important about our understanding temptation and our adversary and our response is recognizing the times in our life that we are vulnerable to temptation and to failure. Mark chapter 1, verse 12, I mentioned earlier that it was after the baptism of Jesus that he was led out to be tempted. We know in the book of... In, in, the story of Elijah in the Old Testament that after he was victorious over the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, that he went off into the desert by himself and was overcome with depression and wanted God to take his life. The story of Jonah after he went and, and finally after the, 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 the circumstances of three days in the belly of the whale or the belly of the fish, he went and, and preached to the town of Nineveh that God asked him to do in the first place. And that, and that pagan city repented and came to God. And after that occurred, we find Jonah out in the desert under a tree wishing that God would take his life. Do you realize that the times in our lives in which we are most vulnerable to temptation and falling and failing is the times on the immediately after something big and significant. Those are the times in our life that we're weak. When we've had an emotional or a spiritual high event and God's worked in a mighty way or we've had some significant event in our family. I, I liken the, the morning after each of our daughter's weddings. Uh, emotional hangover is what I call that. In which you're just tired and you're wrung out and and those are the times that we're vulnerable. And Satan himself knows that. You know, when, when we think of our adversary, Satan, he himself has fallen. And so he understands the process that happened to him. And he recognizes that we are fallen too. 
And so that gives him insight into the times in our life in which we are vulnerable and easily led astray. So part of our provision is recognizing the times of our life in which we're vulnerable and at risk. And then the last thing I want to draw your attention to is this story out of Proverbs. And this is one of the things that, that we have the ability to have some control in in this process. Proverbs chapter 7, the entire account is about a young man that falls prey to a prostitute. And it goes through the whole process of, 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 of him, his thought process, and his decisions. And then in the end of the chapter, he is, he is seduced by her, and he goes into her, and immorality occurs. But at the beginning of that passage, there's a couple of verses that to me are very insightful in terms of how does God help me overcome temptation. Proverbs 7, 7 and 8. The writer of Proverbs said, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. Then the rest of the chapter talks about his failure and his falling. I saw him walking along in the direction of her house, going along the street where she was. As I think back at the times in my life in which I have fallen, which whenever you preach a message on temptation, you can be assured that there's going to be some <laughs> in, the, in the week beforehand so that, that you understand that process. But there were things about this story and this account in which the young man made decisions that put him in a place of vulnerability. He knew where her house was. He knew the house, the street on which she lived. And I'm sure that was not the only street available for him to take. And that was not the way that he had to go, and yet he chose to do so. Each of us know that have walked with Christ very long are points of weakness. There's things that, that it's easy for me to fall prey to uh, because of my sinful nature, because of hurts from my past, because of things that, that, that I'm still in process with God working and giving me victory over. And a big part of standing firm in the midst of temptation is recognizing those things and setting up boundaries to prevent my being tempted in those ways. Sometimes that requires removing things from my life. If there's issues with what I view or, or as a man with pornography or then the TV or the media or my phone, those sources I need to monitor or put protections on so that I don't go down the street by where she lived. Sometimes if, I, if we struggle with substance abuse, with alcohol or drugs or, or cigarettes or whatever it may be, as God is, is, is removing and working in those things of our lives, sometimes we have to step away. We can't go to those places. We can't go to those circumstances or allow ourselves to be in the circumstances in which that's readily available. Sometimes that requires limiting our friendships or removing our, from ourselves people that have a poor influence in our lives. Not taking the pathway by her house. That's one of God's provisions for us to help us resist temptation. And I want to finish this morning with the verse that I 
warned you about last week that you would hear numerous times as, as I preach. Because this is the overshadowing thing that God gives us in regard to our provision to resist temptation. And that's First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We need for Jesus to deliver us from temptation. We need His power to stand strong and to resist those things that, that our human nature bring into our lives as well as what our adversary presents before us. We can't stand alone. We can make provisions for not falling, but ultimately the ability to stand comes because of the power and the significance of God in our lives. And the reality is God has given us every provision in Jesus Christ. We have been delivered from temptation if we choose to walk in that victory that God has given us. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Just uh, as we talk about these things that, that are realities for all of us. Lord, not a day goes by that we're not presented with some temptation, either from our own fallen nature or from our adversary, that would cause us to, to stumble and to fall and to hurt our, our family and ourselves and, and those around us. And so we pray, Father, that you would enable us to stand in the provision that you have given us, to resist the temptation, to put to death the sinful nature that's within us so that we can walk faithfully before you. And then, Father, we also know that this side of heaven, that we're going to fail. We know that we're going to fall prey to these temptations. At moments of weakness, at moments of circumstances in our lives, we're going to fail. And so we're so grateful that when that occurs, in the same manner that you forgave and restored Peter to a place of significance in ministry, that that same provision is ours through your precious blood that was shed. And we thank you for that. Thank you, Father, that you've given us everything that we need. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm sure we've all got our own life verses that we live by, but mine is 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, and I think it's one that a lot of people could relate to, especially as Brent was saying as we talk about temptation, but if you guys would like to stand, we'll finish worshiping today. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began Oh, your grace so free Washes over me You have made me new, now life 
from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested and my life began, oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. It's your Darkness rejoices though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. So when death was arrested and my life began. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes Sunrise, have a great day.